0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. I am not Pastor Mike, but get this. I was dropped into this world by Pastor Mike. There you go. go. Cause he's my daddy. That's great. That's the first <laughs> time in my life I've ever referred yeah, to him. the last. That's
1: great. I uh, was never a daddy guy. And I'm not Emily Langpaul. You're not I'm, Emily Langpaul. Even though we look completely different. Uh my name's Justin Stova, and I'm so glad to be the co-host with you today, Danny.
0: Joined by the one and only. We're filling in, which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Happy to do that. Uh, this is the 32nd edition of, uh, the pastor Mike drop podcast of 2023, going through the whole Holy Bible in a year. Um, the 31 for 31, my dad Come was on. here 31 for 31. I think Emily was here for like 30. Check me on Not this. Not that it's a
1: competition, but look, just look saying. it up in the dictionary, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm
0: pretty sure that's the definition of dedicated.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. So, um, that's a street. so to be here to sit in these seats, it, it's, it's, it's an, an honor, honor, you know? Absolutely. You what. Uh-huh. Uh, it is so good. How's your summer going? Really good. Yeah. Do you have any like big news in your family? Like at home? Like Danny, is your wife gonna have a baby? Justin Did you announce this on social media?
0: Imagine if I didn't.
1: That's so amazing. <laughs> uh yes. It's out there in the world. Congratulations so, yeah, to you guys. We're really
0: excited. So as my father dropped me into this world, my <laughs> wife and I will be dropping a new grandchild into his life. That's amazing. Um so Imagine if my parents were finding
1: out right Right. now. Exactly. surprised. Yeah. No,
0: we're Uh, having a kid and uh, we're having a baby girl uh, due in January. We're really excited. And um, yeah, we shared on social media and big thanks to a lot of people in the church who've just been really kind and and nice about it. So we appreciate it. Justin. We're excited. We've got some really awesome guests with us today.
1: We do. Let's introduce our first guest, Miss Jamie Richards.
2: Hello.
0: Who
1: is our Revive Young Adults Minister, a minister to young adults. Correct. How you doing?
2: I'm doing fantastic, and I have to tell you, this is going to be a party today, and I'm here for it.
1: I love it. And also our other guest, Chris Kimpton, our men's minister. Yes, indeed. Ministering to men here at Hope. Yes, indeed. That's amazing. How are you doing?
3: Doing doing so great. Uh, it was great when we found out that all four of us were going to be able to be on on this together. We were like... Either someone's made a terrible mistake, or it's going to be a whole lot of fun. It could be both. Only time will tell. Stay yes. tuned. We'll find out. It
0: is cool. It's fun to be in this room. Uh, one thing that I hope people know um, is that on our staff, we we really do develop friendships. And right mm-hmm. here at this table, I I have genuine friendships yep. with you all, and not just kind of like in passing, but like really, like I you know I I enjoy the time with you guys. We have great conversations. I've known Chris probably since I was five. Yep. Right. Went to elementary school together. Preschool uh, together? Come on, man. H- Let's h- go. Chris's mom, greatest elementary music teacher I've ever been around in my life, Mrs. Kimston. Shout yes. out. Shout That's out. Amazing. Jamie, Um, one of the most influential ministers in my life when it comes to how to lead young adults and uh-huh. just for setting... Sure.
2: I paid him to say that. <laughs> no,
0: no, it's, it's very true. And it, for anybody who's been to Revive, you know that. And Justin,
1: come on. I just love
0: it? I just love being around you. Oh, so it's sweet. good to be here today. I feel now, the same way. We got some things to get to. Yep. And uh, they come in the form of
1: questions, so what do you say we get to it? Let's just jump right to it. Here we go. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh yeah, no. Should've saw that coming. All right, our first question, as we're going through the whole Holy Bible in a year, right in the middle of the Bible, the Psalms. And so let's jump in. The first question is Songs of Summer. What's a psalm uh, that stuck out to you that in a new way this summer? Maybe what's something that's really uh, stood out to you, Chris? Uh, what do you think?
3: Yeah, so a psalm that is a favorite of mine that isn't always quoted, uh, Psalm sixteen. Uh, you know, right there near the beginning, there is a particular verse in there that I think is really interesting. Psalm 16, 8, it says, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Hmm. So um, this is translated a number of different ways uh, from the original Hebrew. One of the interesting things is it talks about being, you're keeping your eyes on the Lord. You're, you're experiencing fear. And also, you won't be shaken. But uh, the original Hebrew is also translated to, you won't tremble. And I don't know about anybody else, but there's been plenty of times in my life, there's there's being nervous and there's being scared. And then there's also the things, the moments, the hardships that you experience in which you're literally trembling, you're physically overcome with either grief or fear, whatever that is. And this verse to me, um, to have you both having your eyes on the Lord, in the circumstances of feeling anxiety, but like looking towards God, but then also knowing that God is with you in those overwhelming moments. So that just f- for some reason stuck out to me looking through that. And it's a favorite uh, Psalm of mine and isn't one that gets a lot of attention. So, and, yeah. and then it goes on after to say, you're going to praise the Lord because of that. You know, the, the your, your, you rejoice through that trembling, through that being overwhelmed because of just how much God's with you. So uh, that's always... Uh, comforting to me, and I, I think is a fun one to kind of see in a new way. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I I, I enjoyed reading through the Psalms uh, this summer, six weeks of them, mm. which has been pretty cool. A and lot of Psalms. We're coming up on, we're on this last week now. Um, and one hit me really, really hard on Sunday. Psalm chapter 121 is a Psalm that uh, I'll read in difficult situations with people. Mm. Um, as ministers, as pastors, we, we walk into... Uh, some, some challenging places uh, and where people are hurting, um, some of the things that you're describing there. Mm-hmm. And I've read Psalm chapter 121 in hospice rooms, in hospital rooms, at funerals, um, when someone's really, really going through it. And it makes sense. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he watches over Israel, or he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. And what stood out to me on Sunday is a half hour before our service in Ames, we do like a pregame meeting, if you will. We get together, we pray, um, we walk through the service, and a woman named Christy Franco was kind of our prayer partner for Backstage that day, where before the service, she's praying with the team, and she also oftentimes will come with a uh, with like a Bible passage. Uh, Christy's on the church council for All of Hope, um, and so she's just an awesome person to, to have in the space, and, and she's a prayer warrior and all that. The cool thing was, is she's reading Psalm chapter 121 to us, and just the day before, and I'm not breaking this news, this is also public, but she became a grandma for the Mm -hmm. first time to twins on National Twin Day. That's amazing. Come on. And it reminded me that as she's reading this, she was reading this not from the perspective of now given her daughter, went through pregnancy and and Mm -hmm. giving birth, and that's Mm -hmm. not easy. Um, So I've heard, uh, you know, Um, but but when sometimes I read this, it's, oh man, life is desperate and it's difficult right now. And sometimes we think I need to look to God and see how big God is and see how powerful God is when life is falling apart. But as Christians, we also need to look to God when life is beautiful. Mm -hmm. When we see examples of new life, you know, people who are in despair need prayer.
3: Yeah.
0: People who are going through celebration, they need prayer, right? And so as Christians and in Christian community, I think that's one of the most beautiful things that we have together. We go through the lows of life together, but we also don't go through the highs of life alone. We have people around and with us celebrating. And also, I will say this, when you're going through the tough times in life, it's easy to pray like, God, I really need you, you yeah. know? But when you're going through the easy times of life, that's sometimes <coughs> when our prayer life is nothing, right? Sure. Sure. And I think that this example and the way that it was read on Sunday reminded me when my life is going really well and I'm excited about what's happening, I still look up to the mountains Mm. and Mm -hmm. I realize my help doesn't come from this situation that seems so great. Mm. My help comes from the maker of the mountains. My help comes from the one who doesn't sleep, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day and, and I need to turn to him. In in both of those places, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: It, it reminds me uh, the the last I think like almost fifteen psalms. It mm-hmm. starts with praise the Lord, mm-hmm. just like the first three words are the same. And the repetition, you're like, okay, we get it. Is this another one of those praise the Lord? But the 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 author, it's it's a, it's like don't grow tired of ever praising the Lord in whatever season that you're in. I was uh, I took my oldest daughter to summer camp, and they picked up uh, at the end. They they have like a big celebration, and they were, they were singing praise the Lord. It's a new song that came out, and it's like, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Yeah. And so even sometimes the most simple phrases can be the most deep mm-hmm. and most profound. So uh, songs of the summer, Psalms. Uh, I want to keep moving to the, the next question because not only are we reading through Psalms, But also we have a whole new book of the Bible, Ephesians, that we're going to dive into in this podcast as well. And so, uh, Jamie, I want to ask you the first question. Uh, You've got mail. So, uh, Postal Interception, what are some tips for reading the New Testament letters to early Christian churches and communities, and specifically what context is helpful to know about this book and the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians.
2: It's such a good question and I have two kind of preface answers before we get into some meat about specific Ephesians, but first, we've you've already alluded to it. You're reading somebody else's mail mm-hmm, when yeah. you read this book. Like you've gone into somebody else's mailbox. Now the thing about this letter is that it was most likely written as a circulating letter to other churches in the area, like not specifically only to the church in Ephesus, but to like the church of Laodicea, which mm-hmm. is referenced in the book of Revelations. It was an early church in the same Area. So, but keep in mind, while yes, we can still get really good things out of this without knowing who it was originally written to, one of the best parts is knowing how the original audience would have heard this, Mm -hmm. how the original writer intended for an audience to hear. Because so often when you're reading scripture, there's a lot of things you're like, that does not make sense to me. It automatically made sense to so many people who originally were living in this time and in this context. They knew all of the cultural references between the lines that the author didn't have to say. So it's really good to keep that in mind. Two things that are really cool about Ephesus, this city that this letter is addressed to, uh, well, the church that's in the city, is Ephesus was the center, the epicenter of Roman culture Mm. in this region, uh, in the region called Asia, not to be confused with the continent of Asia, but just this Roman region called Asia, and it was the hub. It was where like the Roman capital of the area was in, and so it was a deeply Roman city. So you think about what like the capital city-esque of a Roman empire would be like. Two things that were happening in this city specifically is there's an amphitheater that seats anywhere between 25,000 to 50,000 people. The internet has a wide range on...
1: (laughs) But a
3: lot. (laughs)
2: But a lot of people. And you can still go to Ephesus today and look at this amphitheater. There's actually a really wild story in the Book of Acts where a riot happened because of something Paul said, where people go to the amphithe- amphitheater that is referenced in scripture. And you can see that also the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was in Ephesus. So when you think about the people that this letter was addressed to, these are people who have wealth, they have mm-hmm. status, but also there's a lot of people who are on the lower social stratosphere of that city. So that's, that's all really good stuff for us to keep in mind as we take a look at diving into this letter. Yeah. One of the
0: things that, uh, Chris and I would have both experienced in one of our seminary classes, uh, was from one of our professors who taught us a really helpful way to read the Bible. And I think that it totally echoes what you just said there, Jamie, that fellow seminary grad, um, is he would say that it's so easy to start when you're reading scripture with application. Mm -hmm. Here's what this says, and therefore that's what I do. And please read, read the scriptures, all that stuff, but, but study the scriptures, understand the context. And so that a more faithful process of reading the scriptures, and here's the fancy way of saying it, is start with observation, then interpret, and mm-hmm. then apply. Yep. So observe, what does that mean? Well, observe is, what does it say? Mm-hmm. Interpret, what does it mean? And apply, what does it imply? So Mm -hmm. observe, what does the text say? And so Chris and I, we had this like crazy assignment in one of our classes where it was make a hundred observations on John chapter three, verse 16. And we'd say like, oh, okay, well, Jesus is the son of God. Nope. John 3, 16 doesn't name Jesus. Mm. So specifically, okay. So here's an observation on John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Observation number one, there is a God. Observation number two, there is a world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, specifically, what does the text say? Now, here's why it's important to follow this. We cannot understand what this implies for our lives if we don't know what it meant for the people who read it originally and what Mm -hmm. the author believed about what the author was saying. So in order to understand what it means for our lives today, we have to know what does it say? What did it mean for them? And then we can understand even more faithfully, Mm -hmm. it has massive implications for our life today. Culture changes, circumstances change, God doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Now, the way that we understand our circumstances, the way that we understand our culture, well, that comes back to this profound truth that shows up all the way throughout the scriptures. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of the culture that I find myself in, this powerful creator of the universe finds me here. Mm -hmm. All right. So in the text, let's observe the way that these authors portray this God. Let's interpret what it meant for them at that time in their culture. And then let's understand what does that imply for the life that I'm living
1: today? Right. And so, so now we've kind of set the context of Ephesians. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's dive into the first chapter, kind of the opening uh, phrases of, of this letter that, that Paul wrote. And so uh, in, in Ephesians 1, uh, verses 4 and 5, Paul says that we are loved, we are chosen, we are adopted by God. And so the question that we have to ask is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be chosen by God? What does it mean to be adopted into his family? Um, and so, so what do we do, especially in a world where we really emphasize self-discovery. Who are you? What's your purpose? That sort of thing. So, so Danny, what would you would you say to that as we start off that part of the conversation?
0: Yeah, I think that um, in each of our ministry areas, right, Like one of the big things that will oftentimes come up is people come down to identity crisis. Mm-hmm. And an identity crisis has a lot to do with purpose. Why am I here? What am I doing? Is there any meaning to any of this life that I'm experiencing right mm-hmm. now? The Bible does remind us over and again, yes, there is meaning to your life, but where's the evidence? like what's the proof behind that? Well, in Ephesians chapter one and verse four, I think that it's one of the most profound things that Paul says throughout all of his letters. he says god uh, is uh, is 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 thinking about you, and he's mm-hmm. been thinking about you forever. Here's what he says. And here's, here's just how much God thinks of you. God, the creator of absolutely everything. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Um, there's, that, that's loaded, right? Mm-hmm. But here's one thing that I'll take away from that. The God who made absolutely everything that we see that is good in this world Mm -hmm. He looks over all of it. And before he even spun any of that into creation, before he even thought about stars, before he thought about mountains, before he thought about planets, before he thought everything that would occupy it, he was thinking of you. Before God planned everything that was here, he was thinking about this conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was thinking about wherever you're sitting and watching this right now, wherever you're listening to this. He was thinking about whatever life circumstance you find yourself in. Now, given sometimes those circumstances that we find ourselves in aren't great, but do you want proof that you matter? You exist. You exist. Mm -hmm. The very fact that you exist shows that God decided this world wasn't complete until you were in it. Do you want validation for your existence? Mm -hmm. Go to the creator of this universe who said, I'm not done because I haven't made you yet. The fact that you exist means that, you matter. And and it'll totally change everything about you because we live in a world where oftentimes we're trying to discover ourselves, right? And Mm -hmm. we're trying to figure out, you know, uh, what is my purpose? And when we talk about what's my purpose, we're just trying to talk about where we're trying to get. Well, my purpose is to become this career. My purpose is to attain this kind of money. My purpose is to get this. kind. That's where you're trying to get. Your your purpose is to be loved and be included in God's family. Absolutely. And everything else flows out of that. Do you want proof that you matter? You exist.
3: Yeah. Well, and... and we were t- you were talking about how important these identity pieces are one of the things in the ancient times as we talk about you know the ephesians the the uh cultural background it meant so much to have inheritance it one of those times that you got it wasn't just oh i studied whatever i wanted to in school at the time it was i did what my family Uh, did Uh, my uh, dad passed down his trade to me which was passed down from his dad to his dad and so this very idea that the inherit and the inheritance was the thing that you were given not just from a financial standpoint but everything that your family had worked for for generations was yours and you were then called to steward that so that's a really powerful idea just in general Mm -hmm. but now thinking that your inheritance, you, the inheritance that you're receiving is from the Lord of the universe. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you can see how that takes on to everything, adding to everything you just said. It, all of a sudden this, this galvanizing identity setting piece of, of, of your life is about the God of the universe, not just your own local, localized community set.
2: Mm. One of the things that I think is fascinating about this conversation with the four of us in the room is we represent a wide variety of ages. Justin with junior high Mm -hmm. school. We are skipping high school students, but then (laughs) college students with Kairos, Mm -hmm. young adults with Revive, and then men all the way on up. All (laughs) of you. These are the ages that deal with questions of identity, who am I, questions of self-discovery in all different stages of life hit a little bit differently. And one of the things that That strikes me is I behave differently when I want to be chosen by somebody, when I want to be chosen for a job, for uh, uh, whatever, you Mm -hmm. name it, you know, like, how do I act when I want to be chosen? You Mm -hmm. act differently. And if you ever wonder, like, oh, yeah, God loves me. God's chosen me. That's cool and great and wonderful. But think about what it would be like if you wanted God to choose you. You might act a little bit differently you have already been chosen by God. You have already been picked to be a part of his family. And when we really let that sink in, it changes everything.
1: Right. What I love about the word chosen is it's, it's not the end of the story. It's just Mm -hmm. the beginning. I think about like you played kickball when you're a kid. It's like you wanted to get chosen on a certain team. And so, okay, you've been chosen, but the game has yet to unfold and to play. And so what kind of confidence we carry knowing that God has chosen us. And that's not the end of our story, but the start of this new, beautiful journey, uh, I love the, the phrasing, decided in advance. Mm-hmm. As, as you guys know, my wife and I have four kids, and we decided in advance that we love these children, despite all the ups and downs and the the emotions and, and just the life that is a whirlwind uh, in our family. But when you decide in advance, like, we will love you through whatever. And mm-hmm. so you start to get a glimpse of God's choice for you, of He's decided in advance that His love for you is unchanging. That's mm-hmm. already been determined, uh, even before, like you said, Danny, even before you were created. And so... Um, that word adopted, it, it, to me, it's, it's, a div- it's, it's a word that's a turning point. There's the old life, and you've been adopted into this new life, which I think leads into the next chapter, uh, mm-hmm. which Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about this word grace and, and salvation and how that works. And so I want to I wanna frame up the next question. What, what do Christians sometimes misunderstand about grace? And, and I like the way this is put. If it's not something we can earn... Why should we change the way that we live and so chris what what are your thoughts? Maybe take a first pass at it?
3: yeah, for sure, and I think that this is just an expansion on everything we were just talking about, but uh a lot of us don't understand in a achievement based um kind of framework that we all live in now, mm-hmm. everything that you get, someone earned at some point. You're mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I I just have to be good enough. Even something that's free, so mm-hmm. to speak, mm-hmm. uh, is something that you have to go to get. Mm-hmm. Almost nothing is inherent. And uh, the thing about grace is that you're you're loved already. It's not And I think that a lot of people might have uh, negative experiences with churches or, you know, uh, church hurt or trauma in the past. And it's because they were made to feel that there was a barrier to entry, whether or not that was uh, because of a demographic they were a part of or or some part of their past that didn't uh, measure up. The whole idea is that with God's grace, we already have it. And it's starting from that place, exactly what you said, Jamie. Uh, you, you behave differently if you think you have to earn something, but um, it, imagine how different your life would be if you were starting from a place of grace. One of my favorite uh, things about the original uh, creation poem back in Genesis is Adam's first day. Mm-hmm is from a place of rest. Mm. The first thing that Adam ever had to do, Adam, yeah, was given stuff to do, but the first thing that Adam had to do is just enjoy creation, just rest. And so Adam then lived the rest of Adam's existence from that place of rest. And I just think that's a really powerful thing. And it has to do with grace. What does it look like if you live from a forgiven place uh, instead of trying to walk towards that, that status, yeah?
0: Yeah, you remember the the Batman line in The Dark Knight where he's like, it's not who I am underneath, <laughs> but what I do that defines me, right? It's that was and, a great, that's a really just, good Batman. That was amazing, by I, the way. That was really good. I sit in the mirror a lot, <laughs> and I just...
1: I just practiced. That. Well, you have. With in, a bat mask and yes, everything. you put yeah. in a lot of good practice.
0: I put the <laughs> mascara on or the eyeshadow on, you know. I, I, I always think that's it. funny. You know, Batman before he goes out and fights crime. One second.
1: <laughs> Let me yeah. do my makeup. And
3: that's then puts great. on the mask. And so he got actually, married before he allowed Abby yeah, to see yeah, that part I, of him. As you were so, saying. Oh, that was it. That, okay, that's, <laughs>
0: that's the point. So here's the thing. That's a good line for a movie, but it's terrible theology. Mm. Yes. Sure. I had this friend <laughs> in high school. Still a friend. Uh, he grew up in this church. His Name is Gabe. He was a great basketball player. Still is. Um, Gabe is six foot nine, six foot ten. So tall. tall, dude. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Gabe went on to play in the NCAA tournament. He played on the Lehigh team that beat Duke. Right. He dunked on he Duke. He dunked too. There on was, Duke. It was so awesome. And then he <laughs> stared at Coach K, and he. Just, I don't know what that happened. Okay. <laughs> but he was really good. And part yeah. of the reason he was really good is because he knew how to use his height to his advantage. Yeah rewind a little bit. When he was in high school and my brother was teammates with him and there was this intense game and uh, Gabe scored this really big point, but what happened was he actually jumped so high that he hit his head on the rim and he started to bleed pretty bad. And he had to leave the game, get stitches. They won the game. It was great. I was talking to Gabe about it later and I'll never forget the line that he told me. I said, man, that must've been terrible. He goes, yeah, I guess I forgot I was six foot nine. And now here's the thing. He was in that moment, acting like he was five foot nine. Mm. My head can't hit the rim. Yeah. No matter what we do and how we behave, it doesn't change who we are. He could act like he's five foot nine, but he's still six foot nine. But when he realizes he's six foot nine and he lives into that, he can use that to be this great basketball player. Now, sure. Not all of us are six foot nine. I'm not. Um, not all of us have different gifts in different places. We, we all have gifts. Yeah. But the point that I'm trying to make is you might not act like you're God's kid. It doesn't change the fact that you are God's kid. We live in a world that tells you what you do defines you, but we have a scripture here and we Mm -hmm. have a God who tells us through his holy inspired word that it is not what I do that defines me. What I do is not who I am, but when I realize who I am, that will inspire and change everything about the life that I live and, and it'll lead to a more meaningful life. It's not what we do that defines us. Instead, when we realize who we are, it will define what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the powerful gift of grace. It, it transforms how we're living because it brings us back to our identity and who we are.
1: Absolutely. It changes everything. I, uh, I want to continue to, to kind of get into the next little verse here. The, the word temple comes mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I want to ask the question, what is the significance of the temple as, as Paul is putting it to the audience? And specifically, what does a temple built on Jesus in Ephesians 2.20 look like in our
3: world? So I think that one of the things that we have to know about the temple is that when people heard temple, they immediately then associated it um, with the dwelling place of God. Now that might be a similar kind of association that people have with church today, but even more extreme because it was an actual part of their belief system that God, that's where God was. If you wanted to find where God is, God was in the center of the temple. And the way that the temple was constructed is that there were kind of layers to it. You could only go in so far depending on how holy you were, how educated you were. Had, have you done enough good stuff? Great. Next layer, right? So, your just status in life could only literally allow you to get close enough to God. Hmm. Now... The interesting thing is if we if all of a sudden we decentralize this idea and that the temple is built on Jesus, this Jesus that went to the poor, the sick, the broken, the hurt, all of a sudden God is accessible. And that's that that would have been a completely mind blowing thing to people reading this originally.
2: Yes. I don't remember if it's in Ephesians or if it's in one of the other letters of Paul, but Paul talks about how God has broken down the wall that mm-hmm. divides us. There right. was a lit- one of those walls that yeah. you were talking about was mm-hmm. a literal wall. Mm-hmm. Gentiles, the non-Jews, mm-hmm. could only go so far. Right. And now what Paul is saying, that wall is no longer there. Mm-hmm. God has, quote unquote, left the holy of holies, not because he doesn't occupy it, but because you are all now welcome. There is no obstruction that keeps Jews or Gentiles separate from God. Uh, Those previous qualifications no longer exist. Jesus is the one who decides them because of his life, his death, his resurrection. Everyone's included. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, take a look at Jesus's miracles, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When Jesus performs a miracle... um, we oftentimes think that it's a suspension of reality. You know, the paralyzed man gets up and walks, you know, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, all these different things. The dead come back to life. We, we think it's a suspension of reality, but take a look at the miracles he does. It, if Jesus was just trying to show his power, right? He'd get up on a magic carpet, fly around the sea of Galilee and say, obey me. Right. <laughs> I'm so powerful. You know, I, I get to suspend nature.
3: Laser beam vision.
2: Right. But, but th- that's <laughs> yeah. not it. Cats everywhere. <laughs> Cats yeah, cats with laser eyes, like just proving a point. Yep, sorry.
0: Look at how strong <laughs> I am, right? You know, look at the kitties. Um, but what does he do? He he helps those who have no ability to make a way for themselves in that culture and in that time. Right. And look at the other things he does. He feeds the hungry.
2: And so often Jesus told those who were disadvantaged when he, like for the, the leper, for example, that he healed, he said, go and tell no one. Yeah. Jesus was not trying to make a claim on his own name. Right. So
0: it's beyond just demonstrating his sheer power. Sure. He's demonstrating the redemptive purposes of his power. Mm-hmm. His miracles are not suspensions of reality. Mm-hmm. His miracles are glimpses of when heaven meets earth. This is the way that God meant for it to be. No sickness, no illness, no brokenness, no death, no hunger. And oh my goodness, how we have to humble ourselves, especially in the culture that we live, that for some people, heaven is so exciting just because they're not going to be hungry. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Look at the Old Testament. When it talks about the heavens, when it talks about God's kingdom, when God's kingdom comes to full realization, it's talking about a place where the people who are oppressed, the people who are hurt, the people who have no rights, they're cared for and they're prioritized. And so the temple is supposed to be a place where heaven meets earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, fast forward to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. In Acts chapter 2, they get this flame over their head. Now, that's deeply symbolic. We've talked about this. You can go back to f- previous podcasts. But, but the thing is that that was symbolizing that God's presence was with them. This, this light, this fire was, was a sign of God's presence. That means that every single person carrying the presence of God is like a mini temple going everywhere. So as Christians, what are we doing? When we show up in these places, we're showing, be, not because I'm here, but because God is in here living and breathing through me. Mm-hmm. God is king over this space. And this is going to be a space where heaven meets earth. This is going to be what seemed like a fantasy fairy tale type land, you know, where priorities are turned upside down, right. you know, where people who cannot make a name for themselves are named and loved and welcomed and given a new name, child yep. of God. You know, a place where people who cannot earn for themselves, a place where people who are oppressed, a place where people don't have rights, those people are actually prioritized. It's a place of what? It's a place of love. Mm -hmm. And what's love? I think one of the best ways that I've heard this described is is love is the commitment to someone else's well-being before your own. Mm -hmm. It's the commitment to somebody else's restoration, somebody else's peace before your own convenience and comfort. So as temples, what are we doing? Like we're going around and we're saying, It's time for us to see a glimpse of heaven. Yeah. It's time for us to see where God is bringing this thing. Mm. It's not just for us to show our power. Look, God
3: is with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Show what God's doing through you.
1: Right. All of, all of Jesus power was used for a purpose to bring healing, to bring restoration. And that's what the kingdom's going to do. And and Paul puts it in this way. Uh, he says, God is able to do immeasurably Mm. more infinitely more than we could ever even ask or, or think. And so I want to, I want to frame up the next question too. Uh, when it says this, he, he, that God can accomplish influent, infinitely more than we might ask or think, like all these miracles you're talking about, Danny, what, the hard question is, what is God up to when we don't see or feel Him?
0: Hmm. It, it leads to a really nice line in a song that we sing that's actually very powerful and true, but there's a deeper meaning to it, right? So there's, there's the song that oftentimes we'll sing in modern churches, which is even when I don't yeah. see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're moving. I'm not Way good with maker. song lyrics. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. There yeah. we go. Um, And it's not just a comforting, uh, hope, right? Um, it, it is hope, (laughs) um, but it's not just a comforting wish. Mm -hmm. There are times in this world where it feels like God is quiet and we're like, why, why, Mm -hmm. why aren't you doing something? Mm -hmm. I think that each of us have been in a room with somebody or in our personal lives, right? Where we're like, for sure in our personal lives, but definitely we've been in rooms with people. And the question is, what's God doing when I can't see God? What's God doing when Mm -hmm. I can't hear God? What is God doing when God is quiet? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is a really difficult season, wilderness, whatever you want to call it to walk through. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a friend with somebody, it's also going to be really difficult to walk with them through it, but have the courage, do it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because look at what God's up to in the scriptures when he's quiet. When Jesus is on trial for his life, It was prophesied about him in Isaiah chapter 53, like, like a sheep before the shears. He Mm -hmm. remains silent. He's quiet. When all he had to do was just say a single word and he would have saved his own life. He's, he's silent. And when he's silent, he decides not to save himself, but when he's silent, he's saving the world. Mm -hmm. And so if you feel like God is quiet in your life right now, and you're wondering, why aren't you doing something? I know it's hard. I know it's really, really hard. And God's silence in this reminder is not necessarily going to make your circumstances easier, but it will tell you this. If it feels like God is quiet, look out. Mm-hmm. Because when Jesus was quiet, he was saving the world. Mm-hmm. If God seems quiet right now, look out. He, he might be doing something immeasurably more than you would even think to ask for. Right. Yeah.
2: One of the examples that was coming to mind as you were prefacing that is it pales in comparison to Jesus. But one of the examples that I always think about is if you look at the original, one of the original poems of creation, when God is creating things in order, humanity is last. Mm. That doesn't mean that because humans didn't see the creation of the sky of the moon, of the stars, of all animals, of all vegetation, of the platypus, of the Mm -hmm. kangaroo, of the (laughs) elephant, of the horse, of all these like wild animals. Yes, truly. That doesn't mean that just because humans didn't see it, that it didn't happen Mm -hmm. or that it wasn't meaningful or really important. And those are, I mean, that's a preface then to what Jesus is doing in restoring all of creation in his life, death and resurrection. God's still working. Even if we don't see it, we don't need to uh, put that much pride in ourselves that, because we don't see it, it's not happening.
3: Well, and so often, I, you know, when people are going through so many difficult circumstances, I think there's, there's definitely the circumstance that Danny's talking about where you're crying out to God, asking to hear something and not hearing it. Sometimes we also, what we're doing when we cry out to God when something bad happened and you said, what you actually mean when you are, are saying, God, w- where are you? It's, where were you? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you prevent this thing from mm-hmm. happening? And yep. because we are so often at the mercy of the sins of ourselves and of others, um, think bad, you know... W- we make a lot of brokenness in our own world. God doesn't need to do that. Humans got the corner on the market of making bad stuff happen. And then also just sometimes in our broken world, we experience so much uh, hardship or natural disasters and all these different things. But the, the point I'm making is that regardless of, of where we're looking uh, for God to have, uh, we, we wish that God would have prevented these things from happening and they still did. Where is God in the midst of that? It's right beside you. It's also out in front of you, calling you to new things. But I think you know the verse of where uh, where Jesus is is lamenting the death of his friend. Right? Uh, Jesus didn't need to do that. Yep. Jesus knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. But what did Jesus do? He he cried. He lamented. He he experienced grief. And I think that that's a powerful image because. If you're sitting there thinking, "Man, this is awful," mm-hmm. that in this free world that we all get to live in, we're hurting each other, and we're we're where is God in the midst of this? Also lamenting with you, mm-hmm. and right. I think that sometimes mm-hmm. that's a solidarity that we don't always quite understand. Right, it's a reminder that there's there's a lot of brokenness
1: in the world, right? And we don't have to look far. It it's not like the church and the community of believers are immune from this. We live in the same world as everyone else. Yeah, uh, our hope is in God, but But the question comes about of, in a world that's full of divisions and full of brokenness, um, Paul's encouraging the church in Ephesus to be united and and specifically to be unified in Christ. And so the question that we have to ask is, why does this matter? Why is this going to make any difference for our circumstances? And and so why does it matter? And and the other question would be, what threatens the church uh, as far as it comes to unification in today's world?
0: Hmm.
2: You know, I know it's very difficult for us to imagine a world (laughs) where the church is divided, where people are divided. It's really the farthest thing that we Mm -hmm. can imagine. No, it's quite real. It's so real. You see a bumper sticker that flares your... uh, Whatever. And there's all sorts of things that we have that divide us. I think one of the most important things uh, that Paul is saying to this church that's divided is he's telling them who they are. Because when we know who we are and how God sees us, we don't have a chance of staying divided. Mm-hmm. Uh, the One of the beautiful parts of what Jesus does, is he breaks down all of the things that keep us apart from one another, keeps us apart from God. Um, So what threatens unity in the church today, one of the things, and I think we're going to get to this later in the podcast as well, so I don't want to ruin it for later, but a great thing for us to remember as people of God is that God's enemy... The devil is always trying to divide us and he's going to use all sorts of different things to distract us from staying united in Jesus Christ and keeping our eye off the goal. So there are all the things that we could list of these are the divisions. Those aren't actually the things that divide us. Mm -hmm. Those are just symptoms of something else that's going on much deeper. Um, And so that's something I always try to remind myself of.
3: One thing that we talked about in that vein of, of, At Men of Hope recently, um, we were looking, I know we're in Ephesians, but it talks kind of constantly about this in a lot of these different letters of the different issues these Christian communities were facing. But at the beginning, I think it's of Galatians. uh, One of the first things that Paul writes, he calls out by name a Jewish leader uh, Mm -hmm. in one of those communities and goes... Dude, you were eating, my own translation. Uh, <laughs> dude, you were eating with the Gentiles. You were entering in a community with them. Those walls had been broken down. And then when the hot button issue of the day came up, And all of a sudden you disagreed with the Gentiles on something, you quit eating with them. And he's calling him out on this, not just disagreeing with with him on his stance on an issue. He was saying the mere act that you let this thing that was dividing you become more important than the God that was uniting you. He was saying you made that primary before God and he's like that's it, you you took your eye off the thing that was the most important. We can all agree and disagree with each other. If, I I feel like somebody has to say it cuz cuz Mike's not here to say it that you know we have the left wing the right wing the whole bird. Mm-hmm. That's his you know one of his favorite uh, uh images. But like we we all disagree on a number of different things and that's totally fine. But it's when you allow the division to be the thing uh, right. more important than the God that's uniting us, then we've kind of walked away and lost, lost away. Yeah.
2: When agreement becomes your God and not right. unity, then things get real weird.
3: Right. And, and in the, even if you find
1: agreement that somehow then that solves it, yeah. it it's the idea that it's, it comes down to priorities. Mm-hmm. If God is not God and then that's not first, nothing else is going to solve it. And so, whenever we put something else, whatever issue of the day or whatever issues are going to be in the future, above our faith in Jesus, we're just going to fall short of the unity that God has created for us and has made available to us if we simply do that. I want to, I want to jump to the next question because I want to make sure that we can cover the whole book of Ephesians in this one conversation. And so, uh, moving forward into uh, Ephesians 5 uh, and, and the first part of Ephesians 6. Uh, talking about house rules, and this could be one of those hot-button issues that sometimes comes up and sometimes is misunderstood. So what should modern readers in today's world know about the Ephesian culture regarding spirit-guided relationships, specifically where it talks about wives submitting to husbands and, and how those relationships work? So so what should we know about the, the culture at the time and what's God, uh, through Paul, trying to teach us in this space?
0: Keep in mind what Paul's been saying throughout this letter, right? Paul is telling us about this gospel and how it's changed the world. And now what it means for our life be these mini temples that go out and show what heaven on earth looks like a place where if you look at the old Testament scriptures, it's a place where people who have no rights are prioritized and uplifted. And if you have rights, you're only using those for the sake of creating opportunities and, uh, revealing the righteous and just rights of those who have been, who've had them stripped away. Ephesians chapter five and also chapter six sometimes becomes among the most misquoted um, and proof texted passages of the entire Bible. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll hear Ephesians five read at a wedding and then they'll go off and say, so clearly um, husband, you are in charge of this and wife, congratulations. You're, you're going to reap the benefits of it. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Again, observe. What did it say? Interpret. What did it mean to them? Mm -hmm. And then apply. What does that imply for us? Paul, as Jamie alluded to at the very beginning of this podcast, is writing to a group of people who live in Roman culture. And in Roman culture, the only person in an entire household who had any rights whatsoever was the man. Interestingly, when Paul addresses people in Ephesians chapter 5, Does he address the man first? No, he addresses the woman first. (laughs) So right there, he in his own way is saying, I am uplifting the one who's had rights taken away from them. It was not shocking for Paul to start talking about a man's duties in that culture, in those situations, living under that government and in that system. What was shocking is that he even acknowledged the women. And he acknowledged them before he acknowledged the men. Then he goes on and he acknowledges children before he acknowledges the parents. And then he goes on and he acknowledges the slaves before the masters. Mm -hmm. What is Paul doing? Paul is saying the point of any sort of right, the point of any sort of gift that you have in this world is not for your own benefit and it is not for your own gain and it is not to lord it over somebody else. The point of you having this gift, the point of you having this right, the point of you having this opportunity is to give it to somebody else to truly love them, to be committed to their well-being ahead of your own. So Paul's writing to a culture where he realizes I'm just an apostle, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Paul's influential among the Christians, but he has no influence over Rome at this point, right? right? He he, he has none as time would go on. Paul becomes one of probably the most top five influential people of the world, right? That we've ever seen. But at this time, what's Paul going to do? This guy who's writing from a prison cell, Mm-hmm. What, what's he going to do? Is, is he going to tell Christians to go out and tell the Roman government, you're wrong. They'll all be crucified. They had a history of doing that, right? Yeah. So what is he saying? In your culture and in your context that you cannot control, how do you give up what rights you have for the sake of somebody else's? Mm-hmm. That's that's the point. And, and Paul, this we don't have time to get into today, but this is just deeply immersed in like Old Testament scriptures and how God is using two to become one. He's -hmm. not using two to lord over powers over one another. Right, better together. Two to become become one and not for one to be more important. And quite frankly, not even for one to have more rights than the other, but rather for one to give up what they have for the other person. So what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying, hey men, you have the rights in this society. You need to use them, especially in this Christian community in order to uplift the women in your lives. And women, allow them to do it. Because right. the truth is, when it comes to receiving gifts from other people, just natural, I think, human instincts say, no, 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 it's okay. It's fine. He's like, no, seriously, according to God, you get this. Mm-hmm. Um, that, we're scratching the surface. Right. Um, but it, you two the, have had great insight on this. Jess, I know yeah. you two as well. So, Yeah,
1: and I love the, the first part of that 521 where it says, mutual submission, out of reverence for Christ. So before he even gets into what each of the husband or the wife's role is, it's, it's saying, because of Christ and his love for you therefore, mutually submit. And so uh, Paul gives a parting word in Ephesians. He, and I think this is helpful to kind of tie our whole conversation uh, together today. And he talks about the full armor of God. And so I want to ask this question. Uh, he says to put on the full armor of God so that we can resist the devil's strategies. And why does Paul end his letter like this? And, and maybe if you can add to it, what are some of the strategies that the devil tries to use as you think about everything we've talked about in this letter? Who do you want? Go for it, Jamie. Okay,
2: cool. Before we do that one, I'm going to just add one other Please thing do. as Please the do. gal at the table to the yes. previous question. Pastor Amanda and I were talking about the Ephesians question yesterday, and she just reminded me, as so as you so beautifully articulated as well, just that the women and the slaves and the children, there, there are no surprises for them in that text, but the men we the one who are being given a surprise by Paul. Right, right, Paul knew what he was doing. He knew his audience and he did it really well. And if we don't understand that, we're going to misuse this text, but it's really important for us to understand who he was talking to and what he was doing. So, yes. yeah. yeah. Um, man, the armor of God is one of my all-time favorite scriptures, and we already talked about this a little bit, but resisting the devil is resisting division. Resisting the devil is resisting all sorts of things that come at us. And so you can see what Paul is prioritizing when he talks about uh, what the armor of God fights against. So in chapter six, verses 13, he says, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. That's the goal of armor, right? To still be able to be alive to be able to still live and breathe and function after you're fighting. So you put on the belt of truth. We've already talked about identity, who you are as a child of God. If you don't have that, just kind of strapping you in, you're going to get all sorts of wild and sideways and act out of trying to be chosen rather than knowing that you already are chosen. The body armor of God's righteousness You don't have to try to earn righteousness or become right. God has already made you that. For shoes, put on peace. I know that that one's really easy all the time. We just walk in peace everywhere. No, but I... I think that that's really crucial for us to think about what are we walking in? Am I walking in a spirit of anger? Am I walking in a spirit of one-upping other people? Am I walking in a spirit of trying to make other people know where they are in this world, whatever, and where I am? No, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith. To stop the fiery arrows of the devil, put on salvation as your helmet take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When you take a look at what Paul is saying these pieces of armor are, you get to understand what it is that we're fighting against and what God wants you to be ready for. Well,
3: and I think that there's all of these different pieces of armor fly completely in the face of what they would anticipate they would be given before what they had to combat unrighteousness were just trying harder and if you look at all of these different you know how many laws can you can you adhere to how holy can you be and instead what the 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 way that this armor of god is different is it's it all involves things that god's already done for you and it's essentially this armor isn't an act of doing it's a resting in who god is already to you and everyone else and a resting in it's a the act of resting in in who you already are uh, with the love of God, and so it's 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 not so much a doing of it's a resting in, and uh, that's knowing that that's how we combat unrighteousness. You know that that has us live our lives a much different way than th- our natural reaction of what mm-hmm. we would actually usually do.
2: Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of that little story in the Old Testament where David is fighting Goliath, and Saul sees David. He's like, David is going to be no match for this Goliath Mm -hmm. guy. Let me give him my armor. This is the king's armor. It is the best of the best of the best. And David tries putting it on and it doesn't fit him. That's not the armor that was meant for him. And so he actually fights with what God has given him and prepared him to use. And he wins over Goliath. We know that story pretty well. I think that... Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah, Sorry if you haven't read the Old Testament (laughs) (laughs) and you don't know that story. That's a good reminder for me that I'm not putting on the armor of this world. I'm not putting on the armor of arrogance. I'm not putting on the armor of the things that the world tells me I need or that, the or the Instagram or TikTok or whatever tells me I need to be okay in this world. I'm putting on the armor of God. Yeah. Yep.
0: Uh, It is an honor to be united with you all in ministry, united with you all in life, united with you all in faith. For those of you who are listening, it's an honor to be united with you. Uh, We are better together. Um, and this has been fun today. I wish we could keep on going, but that's all the time that we have for now. Um, but come to church this weekend at all of our campuses. We're going to be diving deep again into the book of Ephesians. Uh, I'm going to be preaching here at West Des Moines. Um, various pastors at other campuses. We can't wait to see you there. My dad will be back in two weeks. Emily in her seat next
2: week. I'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time.